Amen. I am always so thankful for our worship team that goes above and beyond to lead us in worship every week. I'm so thankful that you are here, that you have chosen to start your week in worship with us. Something special takes place. We say it all the time. Something special takes place. The people of God gather together to celebrate what God is doing, to look forth, to see the things that God is doing. So, and I'm grateful that you're here. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we are in a study that is taking us all the way through the story of Acts, which we've said is the story of God building his church. And the first century from conception to just a, to launching a movement that have spread across the world and spanned two millennia. Uh, the story of Acts is the story of God building his church, but it also shows us what a special privilege we have to play a part in what God is doing. I was thinking about that this week and praying about it because for the last several weeks, as we've talked about the book of Acts, we keep saying, man, what a special privilege this is. It kind of begged the question, you don't have to raise your hand, but do you feel like being part of the church is a special privilege? Not just our church, though this is the best church, but there's a special privilege to be a part of something that started long before us, that will go long after us, and will literally change the eternal trajectory of people's lives. This movement that started two millennia ago that has persevered through hardship and suffering so that people would be able to set their focus on God. Very rarely, Very rarely do we get an opportunity to play even a small part in something that is bigger than us. I was thinking this week, it seems like, it seems like, I'm not an expert on this field, but it seems like every time we turn around, uh, something is being launched into space from our East Coast. Have you noticed that? Yesterday we were just driving and I looked over and I thought either either someone is invading or we're launching another missile or a rocket into space. And we looked it up on Google. Sure enough, it just becomes so routine. But there was a time when things going from Earth into space was anything but routine. The, the space race in the 1960s, it's just such a fascinating time. I was reading about uh, some of the heroes of the space race this week because we all know the, the famous astronauts, right? Like the Neil Armstrongs. We know those stories. But what I love to see are the unsung, the stories of the unsung heroes. Well, people like a guy named Wen Painter. Have you ever heard of the guy named Wenneth Painter? Don't lie. No, you have. Okay, Annie has, but she's been involved in, in NASA, all of the, the space programs. None of the rest of us have. Well, I don't think you have. I never heard of him. Wen grew up. Here is a story. I'm going to give you a very, abbrevi- a very abbreviated version from what I understand. Wen grew up working a ranch in Nebraska, the heartland of the United States. Could not be further from the Space Coast. When he was in first grade, World War II was underway. And he was fascinated with the skies over Nebraska because they were filled with fighter planes and fighter pilots in training. He became fascinated with flight. So he went to school uh, to learn about flying. Then he went back to Nebraska. He had no idea what his life would in- include, but he was invited to be part of the space race. He developed a system, and I'm not going to pretend like I understand, about landing uh, manned uh, capsules back on Earth. And he was part of designing that program December 2nd, 1966. He was part of a test flight that went com- incredibly wrong. As the capsule was spiraling back to Earth at 300 plus miles per hour, he was the one who guided the astronauts, saving their life. He would lay the foundation and prove that it is possible for man flight to go to space and come back safely to Earth. 
And I share his story, not to, make much of, not to make much of him, but I love those stories of unsung heroes. Like, I love the people that were invited to be part of something bigger than themselves. And I love to watch the, the work and the investment of those people continue to grow and expand beyond them. I wonder if he could have ever seen a day where rockets going from Florida Space Coast to outer space would just become a thing of norm that would barely stop us in our tracks. I say that because all of us, whether we realize it or not, are invited to be part of something bigger than ourselves when we're part of the church. And we're going to spend uh, our day today looking at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and we're going to see the story of how all of us can play a special part in what God is doing. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 3, like I said, we're going to cover two chapters today. Now, before you break out into a nervous sweat, We're not going to read every word of two chapters, but we're going to make our way through it pretty quickly. When I told my friend Ben that we were going to cover two chapters today, he literally fled the country. He said, I'm not going to be at Eastside when we try to read two chapters of the Bible. That will take four hours. I said, it will not take more than three, Ben. Um, So nonetheless, we're going to try the impossible here. You got your Bibles. Acts chapter 3. I want to read the first 10 verses to us. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Here what Peter said, he says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 3. And isn't it an incredible word? Like, I don't care if you're reading this story for the very first time or the 500th time. When we read stories like this, we can't help but stand in awe as we watch God work in the life of the early church in the first century. When I read stories like this, I see uh, these miracles, these signs and wonders, and I wonder to myself, like, what would it have been like? Wouldn't it have been incredible to live in Jesus' day, to watch Jesus work, to watch the the church move forth with great power, performing these incredible miracles, life-altering miracles, signs, and wonders. What would it have been like to be there at the temple watching Peter and John speak to the lame man, watching him jump to his feet, watching the crowd stand in amazement? Wouldn't it have been incredible? And then we see heroes of the faith like this, Peter and John, depending on the faith tradition you grew up in, maybe you called them Saint Peter and and Saint John. And we think, man, they are just something special. And no doubt, I mean, they were the apostles of Jesus. So they were set apart for some pretty incredible things. But what we're going to see as we look at their story, and as we look at this story, that we can do some pretty incredible things for the kingdom. Now, we may not be able to walk into church, take a layman, and send him on his way, but we can be a part of God changing people's lives. Their story is not so different from our story. It's not so far-fetched to think that we could influence the way people interact with God. And that's what we're going to see as we see their story. Now, I know if you're anything like me, you're thinking, what are you talking about? 
Like I've never walked into church, seen a crippled man sitting there, helped him to his feet. But Peter and John were simply following God. I want to look really at these first 10 verses, and then we'll look at a few screenshots along the way. But these first 10 verses show us how all of us can play a part in what God is doing to spread his name, his fame, and his reign as the kingdom of God goes forth through his church. So if you have your Bible, I know you all brought your Bibles, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Let's stop right there for just a second. We have to read this story through 2,000 years of human history. We have to read across cultural lines, and we have to remember that Peter and John were apostles of Jesus, but they grew up Jewish. And so a, a good Jew in the first century would go to the temple at least once, if not three times a day, to recite the prayers, morning, noon, and night. And Peter and John, at the start of this story, I don't think they were looking for some significant sign to take place. They were simply seeking God. They were going to the temple just like they had done their entire life, morning, noon, and night, to spend time with God, to spend time in prayer. And it, it shows us that some of the greatest signs of God, some of the greatest, most significant moments where we get to influence and affect people's lives for the kingdom come from those still moments that we're spending time with God. And I know I've told you guys this so many times, but so often, it's not when I'm preparing a sermon. It's not when I'm standing up to preach. It's not when I'm having a conversation. It's when I'm sitting alone with God in my morning prayer time, the Holy Spirit begins to stir in my mind for people who are longing for God. And I've told the story once. I've told it a hundred times. But uh, as, a, as a church plan, we're going to talk at the end of the service about how we're going to get back to a devotion to prayer and fasting, praying for God to work in our lives and through our church. But as a young church with 30 people, no Sunday service, nothing really, no website, just as a group of people who are beginning to feel a shared conviction to see the kingdom of God spread across the city of Orlando, we began praying that God would draw people to himself through his church. And I prayed this, I had encouraged our church to pray this, and I hate to say it, I'm not sure I really believed it. You ever been like that? Like you pray a prayer because you know you're supposed to pray the prayer, but you're not really sure if God's going to answer the prayer? That was me. And I just, I, I was pretending as best as I could because I thought the church should pray the prayer. But I was praying this prayer, God, draw people to yourself through your church. Morning, noon, and night, God, draw people to yourself through your church. Kind of like Peter and John, just this regular rhythm. God, draw people to yourself through your church. We gathered on Sunday evenings at a small local church as a core team. And we prayed, God, draw people to yourself through your church. We were studying the book of Acts. We were watching the kingdom of God advance across the known world at that time. And as a New Testament church, we prayed, God, draw people to yourself through your church. And in my morning prayer time, I'd start my day reading the scripture, and God, draw people to yourself through your church. And I've shared the story a hundred times. But over the course of a week, God just, in a still, small voice, brought my friend Dale to mind. Invite Dale to church. And I wasn't sure. Like, I don't know. Dale probably has a church. Do you ever feel like that? God, someone puts someone on your mind, and you're, like, making excuses. So-and-so probably has a church. So I just, the next day, God, draw people to yourself through your church. And the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, why don't you invite Dale to church? Well, that would be kind of awkward. Like, what if Dale says no to church? And it's, Dale probably has a church. And the excuses continue to build until God would just not stop. And so I sent Dale a text, and Dale just simply responded, Adam, I can't explain it, but I feel drawn to your church. I say that story not because I want to continue telling my story, but because I think so often that is our story, that God speaks clearly, and he shows us where he wants to work when we're just pursuing him in the regular routine of our life. He shows us how to make disciples. He shows us 
in, in those prayer times how he wants us to lead people that are willing to follow Jesus with us. He shows us the people that have been in front of us for all along, but we, he, he shows us those who have a need for God. And it's in those regular rhythms where God performs signs and wonders. It's where he blows us away as we get the front row seat to watch him work. It's why it's so important to start our week in worship together as a church family. I don't know about you guys, but man, I missed being here last week. I got a very small glimpse. Even when we go on vacation, Chris and I like to go to church because um, we're scared to go to hell, and that's what God says we should do. So I'm just kidding. Nothing to do with that. But we love celebrating God. When I grew up, I thought if you missed church, you might. If God came back Sunday afternoon and you skipped church on Sunday, you're not going to spend it. That's a whole other story. Uh, but if I could convince people of that, the church would get a lot bigger on Sunday mornings. But nonetheless, Last week, we uh, slept in a little bit. I woke up at 7 a.m. I looked at my watch. I was like, man, this is the time I'd normally be at church. The church was closed because the hurricane, they wouldn't let us in. And uh, so I got up. I made coffee. I spent some time with God. I washed the dishes. I, I turned on sports. I watched the news. And then like an hour into my day, I thought, is this what the world does every Sunday? And for like 30 seconds, I thought, you know how much more I would get done if I didn't go to church every Sunday? And about 30 seconds later, I realized, man, something is missing when I start my week with selfish motives. Because I began formulating a list of all the things I could get done on Sunday. Now, we gathered as a community group, and we spent time in prayer and time in the Word, time in fellowship. But those first few hours, I realized, like, there is something special that takes place when we start our week in worship. It sets this precedent that our week is not about us. It is about making much of God. And it is in these moments as we gather together that makes no sense to the world on the outside that God does something special. Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer because prayer time, time there's no substitute for time spent with God. And as they're going up there, they see this man who's been carried to the temple. He's been laid by the temple day in and day out to ask for the generosity of those going to worship. And uh, it's just fascinating because the same thing kind of takes place today. People are uh, in desperate need, right? This man was in a desperate situation. He was crippled from birth. He had never known what it was like to walk. He had never known what it was like to be able to provide for himself. He was completely dependent on the generosity of people carrying him to the temple gate day in and day out. There was no disability program in the first century. He was completely dependent on the generosity of those going to and from the temple. I think it was a strategic place because he knew people were going to worship and he knew they might be feeling guilty. It'd be like if you go out from here and you're wearing like, I don't know, let's say like a a bright, shiny east side pin that someone handed you on the way out. Like, you're just like, right. You're a good target for someone to ask for generosity, right? Because like, you just worship God. You got to give me something. That's what was going on here. This man was strategic. He sat by the temple gate. And as people were coming to worship, he asked for their generosity. He asked for their provision. But as we dig a little deeper, and I don't want to pretend to know this man's story. He was in a pretty desperate situation physically. But I have to wonder if he had given up all hope of being healed. He was just trying to make it through the day. He was just trying to make enough money today to feed him until tomorrow. And he'd be carried back to the same place to ask for the same people, for the same handout. And he'd just given up hope. His only goal was to make it through the day. Now, if we zoom out, we realize that there are people around us, all around us, who have great physical needs. Some, like this man, are paralyzed or struggling from illness or all kinds of physical needs. And the Lord does incredible things in their lives or can. But so many people around us, as we gather for worship, have given up hope that they could ever be healed. They might not even know their greatest desire. 
is to have a restored relationship with God. They've given up hope thinking that they would ever have a restored relationship with God. They've kind of settled into this routine, if I can just get through today. They're living for the day. These are the people that God has put us in place to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And I love how the story goes. It says, he asked Peter and John for some money. Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. The man fixed his attention on them, verse 5, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, and I love this verse, I have no silver and gold. That's how you know Peter was a preacher, right? But what I do have, what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began walking. He entered the temple with him walking and leaping and praising God. And what I love so much about this story is Peter looks at the man sitting there and the man's just literally asking for just enough to get by and he says, I don't have the silver and gold to meet your hunger needs right now, but what I do have, I have something you don't even know you're looking for in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. God can do immeasurably more for you than you are even asking or imagining. That God can change your life in incredible ways that you've given long since, given up hope that you could ever have a restored relationship with God. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, and like I don't know if there was more to it or if he just literally said in the name of Jesus Christ, but when that man heard what Peter said, I think, I think this guy living in Jerusalem day in and day out, sitting there as a silent observer, had seen the story of Jesus. He had certainly seen Jesus come into the temple and drive out the money changers and talk about how the temple was meant to be a house of prayer. And he, he had seen Jesus perform miracles and signs and wonders. And he'd seen Jesus changing lives. And he heard Jesus' message. And he'd watched the crowds crucify Jesus. And he was there hearing the stories of this Jesus who was raised from the dead. And he was there at Pentecost. When Peter preached the first gospel sermon and the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was launched and lives were changed and people gave their life to Jesus. And as soon as Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I think something had to switch in this man and he put his faith in Jesus. Here's the thing. We can take this too far and we can think that it's something special about the, the name of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard people like these naming and claiming like if in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, like if I just say in the name of Jesus, something's going to happen. There is so much theology in this one verse. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There's nothing about the name. It is the person and the work of Jesus that Peter is appealing to. And we know that because later on, John, who was standing there with Peter, and would write a letter to the church in 1 John chapter 5, and he would say this in verse 13. He would say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The name of Jesus and faith in his name is the means by which we have a restored relationship with God and can have confidence that we have an eternity with him. Paul would write in Romans chapter 10, and we'll be on the screen because it just came to mind, Romans chapter 10, um, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. What he's saying is everyone who puts their faith in the Son of God, the person and the work of Jesus, will be saved from their sins. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man jumped to his feet. And here's again, as we read through 2,000 years of history and traditions and cultures, it says, verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And we read this story and we think, man, I'm not sure I can make a crippled man walk, but there's, some, there's a greater miracle taking place here that we don't see at face value. 
This man as a paralyzed man would never have been able to go into the temple for worship. He would have watched people come and go and experience times of prayer and time spent with God as he sat on the outside as a silent observer. Here for the first time, because he was healed through Jesus, he went into the temple praising God and enjoying a restored relationship with him. And everyone that saw it was filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'm convinced that we have the privilege to play a part in the special work that God is doing through his church. Like Peter and John, as we spend time with Jesus, he will put people in our path for us to proclaim the good news of Jesus to. And he may not cause a, a lame man to jump up and walk, though he may, but he can certainly use us to preach the gospel, to lead people to a restored relationship with Jesus. Like, who are the people that God is putting in your life? Like, is it people that are at school with you? Every day you go to class and it's the same people and you've spent your time in prayer in the morning and go in, it's the same people that come to mind, same people you see. Uh, I was at a conference this week and they were, uh, they were talking about this man named Shadake Johnson. He's a, a church planter in Syria, I can't speak, in Africa. And uh, he's planted thousands of churches. And he said, as a Jesus follower, when you walk into a room, you look around for the Jesus option. And if there's not a Jesus option there, then you know that you are the Jesus option. If you walk into a classroom and you look around and you don't see anyone following Jesus, like Jesus has sent you there so you can be a missionary into that classroom. Maybe it's your place of work. You go every day. You've never thought about your place of work as a mission field. But when you walk into the conference room or the cubicle, you look around for a Jesus option. If you don't see a Jesus option, you can be confident that as a Jesus follower, you are the Jesus option, that Christ is making his appeal through you, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians. Maybe it's at home. Like sometimes we talk about school and work, but maybe it's the home and it's the grocery stores. You're raising kids or, or grandkids. And you think, what in the world am I doing? You look around for a Jesus option. If you don't see a Jesus option, you know that you are the Jesus option. God can change the world through people who are spending time with him. We look at the stories like Peter and John and we think, man, they were something special. They were something special. But they were spent something special because they spent an inordinate amount of time with Jesus. Verse 11 and following, uh, the crowds see this man walking. It's undeniable. And so the crowds gather around. These are the people that have been giving him money day in and day out. They see him leaping and jumping and praising God. They see him going into the temple for the very first time. And so they gather around. They start asking questions. They're filled with wonder, amazement. And Peter never passes it up an opportunity to preach. And so what does it do? First of all, it says, when Peter saw the crowd, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this? Well, that seems like such a dumb question because the man was just laying there crippled. Now he's walking. I'm curious. Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Everything comes back to Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he de decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you, what, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by, here's how I know, faith in his name name. He has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. But God, what God foretold through the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Then he says, extends an invitation, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come 
from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom you must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter never gave up an opportunity to preach, but what we really see is Peter never gave up an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Now, I know in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, Peter and John, God using me as the Jesus option in the, in the context that he's placed me in, the context he's called me to. But what do I say? You ever feel like that? Like, what do I say if I go to tell someone about Jesus? Here's what blew my mind. Peter, a man who never lacked words, had a relatively simple sermon. In fact, it's the same sermon he preached at Pentecost. Crowd, you see what Jesus is doing. You see what God is doing. This Jesus shouldn't be a mystery. It's the Jesus you heard about. It's the Jesus you read about. This is the Jesus that was crucified on a cross for our sins, that was raised from the dead three days later. This is the Jesus I know. This is the Jesus I've experienced. And then he extends an invitation. This is the Jesus you can know also. This is, the, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. And this is what Jesus has done for you. I love the simplicity of the invitation. Repent, therefore, which literally means just turn your life over to Jesus. Turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Give your life to Jesus so he can wash your sins away. And then he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In the sight of all the people, the man who had been set on the side of the road begging, who had lost hope of a restored relationship with God, jumped to his feet and went into the temple, into the, symbol, the symbolic presence of the Lord. And he's saying that just like this man experienced Jesus, just like this man got to go into the presence of God, you too can go into the presence of God through Jesus. The invitation for all people is that they might experience Jesus for themselves. This is, I'm becoming, this is becoming more and more clear for me. Like, who are we as a church? We exist to lead others to experience immeasurably more by inviting them to exchange the common for the holy. If the most simplest form, we just want to lead people to experience Jesus for themselves. When you encounter people uh, that are far from God, do you have a story that you can tell them? Can you tell them this is who Jesus is? This is what Jesus has done, and this is how you can experience Jesus? And we want to do, I want to do everything in my power to make it possible for you to have an immeasurably more story. So we're launching this Tuesday, the Discipleship Pathway. And this is a shameless plug for it. It's a, it's a uh, Discipleship Pathway designed to help every one of us experience Jesus for ourselves. And I know there's this in the back of our mind, you might be thinking, like, this is for like new believers. This is not just for new believers. This is for new believers. This is for non-believers. This is for lifelong believers. Because what we're going to do over the course of these six dinners in five different homes over six weeks, so it wouldn't be a devil number, uh, one house is going to host two different dinners, six dinners, five homes, six different weeks, is we're going to share the core values that God revealed to Carissa and I uh, over the course of launching Eastside that allowed, Jesus, allowed us to experience immeasurably more. But what I'm so humbled by as we've been putting this pathway together is these six core values aren't unique to us. They're straight from Scripture, and they are the way that as you look around, we've all experienced Jesus, that we would lean in that we'd spend time with him, like Peter and John going up to the temple of prayer, that we would take action, we would walk in obedience, we would do what he says, that when we do what God wants us to do, he will do what only he can do. We would expect miracles as he changes lives. 
we would live open-handed lives. We would realize that our time, our talents, and our treasures aren't for us, but they are uh, given to us for God to work through us. We would cultivate a restorative community. We would get around believers who know us, who can see the whole approach of our life and speak into our life as we follow God together. And then we would reflect glory to God and make disciples. And so I want to invite you. We still have some slots open. If you would like to be part of this, it starts this Tuesday. It'll be every Tuesday of the course of the next six weeks. And this is for everybody. In fact, as we move towards January and into the spring, uh, we're going to launch our first ever membership drive. And to be a member of Eastside, you're going to have to go through this pathway because we want this DNA of leading others to experience immeasurably more to be so deeply instilled in us that it flows from us. So if you haven't signed up, that you can speak to us after church. You can go on our website, eastsideorlando.com slash events. It's right there. Sign up. It's free to you. But we do ask that if you commit to it because people are putting their time, their energy into preparing it for you, that you make an effort to be there each of the, the six weeks. Um, but we can all have a story. I share this with you now because we can all have a story just like Peter. We can all have a story just like Peter. This is who Jesus is. Like I grew up reading these scriptures. I know what the scripture says, or I'm learning them for the very first time. But this isn't just some intellectual pursuit. I've experienced Jesus, and you can experience him too. When we lean in, take action, expect miracles, live open-handed lives, cultivate restorative community, and reflect glory to God. Join us as we make our way through the discipleship pathway. Finally, I just want to flip over to, to chapter 4. It says, as they were speaking, chapter 4, verse 1, as they were speaking, the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. I love it. Verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And so Peter and John perform this incredible miracle. The whole crowd gathers around. People are so excited to watch God work. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, say, hey, we don't want this disruption. They're pretty frustrated. They gather and they throw them in prison. And you think what? When they face opposition, the kingdom of God stops growing? No. But verse 4 says, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So the church continued to grow as the gospel was preached and persecution broke out against the church. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good. In chapter 2, 3,000 men were baptized. We flip the page to chapter 3, 2,000 more. The church is just rapidly growing because people are pointing to Jesus. On the next day, they pull him out and they start asking Peter and John questions. Verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter had spent significant time with Jesus, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today, if we're on trial concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the, here it is again, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says in verse 12, and there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. And then we're going to end in verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized, this is underlined, circled, highlighted in my Bible, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
man, I want that to be true of me. I am certainly an unschooled, uneducated, common man. I went to a college where I learned the Bible that no longer exists. I am an unschooled, educate, uneducated, common man. But my prayer, since I've discerned the call of God, is that God would use us to plant a church that only he could take credit for. And I think God looks at us and he says, that's not going to be very hard, right? Because there is no way we could take credit for the things that God is doing in our midst. We have seen physical healing here at Eastside. We have seen God open wombs, wombs and wombs, but wombs. We have seen God restore health. But more than anything, we have seen God at work to answer a prayer we prayed some three years ago that God would draw people to himself through his church. God, use us to plant a church that only you can take credit for. God, I look at the stories of Peter and John, and I know that we look at them with reverence and awe, and we're so humbled for the work that they were able to do as they gave their life to the work of Jesus, but we realize that they were unschooled, ordinary, uneducated men. But it was evident, even to those on the outside looking in, that these men had been with Jesus. The invitation of the church, my friends, is spend time in the presence of God. There is no substitute for time spent with Jesus. We're here to launch a church that I truly believe will be part of trans transforming the spiritual landscape of the city of Orlando. And I know I say that, and you look around, and you think there's less people here than there were last week. I get a front row seat. There are more disciples here than there were last week. The crowd comes and goes. But the church are those who are spending time with Jesus. Hard times are going to come. Relationships are going to be strained. Physical health is going to come under attack. The enemy is at work attacking our lives, our marriages, our families. I'm watching it because you share it with me. But when the world looks at East Side, I want them to say of us, these men and women, they've spent time with Jesus. The discipleship pathway, the community groups, men's and ladies' theology, our student ministry that we launched, our children's ministry, everything we do, everything you give to, everything you sacrifice for is intentionally created to invite people to experience Jesus for themselves. People who are coming just saying, please take care of my physical needs, who have given up hope, that are just trying to get through the day to say, God is at work to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. You're asking for physical healing. We pray for you that that comes but God can change the eternal trajectory of your lives because he's changed the eternal trajectory of my lives and I know he's changed the eternal trajectory of yours. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. We don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to be a part of a movement that has spanned millennia, that is changing eternity, that has touched every continent, but Father, you have graciously invited us, unschooled, ordinary people, to be part of something that will grow beyond our wildest imagination. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It is planted in the ground and it grows so the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. God, we look forward to and pray for and long for the day that Eastside grows into a family of churches spread across the city of Orlando so people far and wide can come experience and imagine to be more for themselves. But today, Father, as your church is gathered for worship, As the crowds come and go, I pray that the church would spend time with you, that we would prioritize starting our week in worship, that not a day would go by, that we don't start our day in prayer, that we don't sit at your feet and say, Father, what do you have for me today? 
What are you trying to do through me today? Is there someone at work? Is there someone at school? Is there a child in my home? Is there a grandkid who has come under my care? Is there someone at the grocery store? Father, all around us are people who have given up hope that you can change their life. Show us who you have set before us. And then God, give us the confidence to preach with clarity the good news of Jesus. As much as we know it, that this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has done, and you can have this too because heaven knows, I know, that the message is often moderately delivered, but it is exceptionally received when your Holy Spirit goes to work to soften the hearts of people. Father, we pray for your goodness and grace to rest with your people, that your favor would be bestowed upon us, that, Father, you would give us strength to stand against the schemes of the devil, to discern his lies and his deception, to set our minds on things above so that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. And, Father, we would take many people with us. Father, I pray every day that you would come and you'd come quickly. And as soon as I pray that prayer, people come to my mind, friends and family that I love, that I know will not be there with you. So, Father, I ask that you give, if you're patient with us, and you give your people an opportunity to preach the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. Father, as we sing, that you would take our ransom life and use it in any way you choose. That all we have is Christ, because we've been made new in Christ. Father, what you've done in us, we pray you would do through us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.